Hey, fanboys and fangirls, it's your host, Aaron Broverman. I just wanted to update you with what's been going on since we recorded this episode with Jason Liu of The Pitiful Human Lizard. Uh, he's a very talented artist, and he's gotten a deal with Chapter House Comics, the publishing house behind Captain Canuck, which means he got into the Diamond Distributors catalog, and The Pitiful Human Lizard will be distributed across Canada and in all comic shops worldwide in the very near future. So uh, get your shop owners to order yourself a copy and have a listen as to how this comic came to be. Thank you. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, Aaron. What's going on? (laughs) Hey, Jason. Uh, Welcome to my studio. This is our latest episode of Speech Bubble. In studio today, we have Jason Liu. Jason and I, we kind of go back a little bit. He was somebody that I met when I first moved to Toronto in 2003. I think he was a member of Sketch Krieg, if I'm not mistaken. One of the... I forgot when Sketch Krieg was established. I think it was like 2005, but you probably saw me like on my own or, yeah. or sharing a table with Evan Yeah, you were definitely sharing a table with like the guys like, who the members, like, yeah. like Tyrone and Evan. I remember there's a whole row of you guys. There was Zen Rankin, there was Evan Monday, <laughs> there was Tyrone, there was Alana McCarthy. This yeah. was before Alana and Tyrone were married, right? So... So I think you just had like a whole row of tables. It was at the first Paradise show in November. I think was the first time. Oh yeah, the, no, no, was the first uh, time I met you. I think uh, that's that's where I actually first met Tyrone. Wait, what was it? The the Queen Elizabeth building. It was yeah, yeah, Cause, yeah cause that was the yeah, very yeah, first one. Yeah, that was the first that was, one. That was yeah, that convention was when I first met like everyone like uh, i didn't share a table with him I, I had my own table with like some other sheridan people but that's where i f- first met tyrone mccarthy and, and alana and eric kim uh, kelman as well actually like there was a, like a ton of people that i've met there that i that are i'm good friends with now and it was mainly because the show didn't really have that much traffic so it was yeah. it was a great opportunity to like walk around the tables and have conversations with people yeah that was the beauty about that show like there were a lot of amazing people Kagan McLeod came, Kagan McLeod Chip Zdarsky. but even even beyond like the independent tables people like Jim Starlin were there and Pia Guerra who was doing Why the Last Man at the time yes. and Phil Jimenez was there and there wasn't a lot of traffic but it wasn't like so dead that it was like wizard Toronto level where like nobody was showing up but you, it was enough where you could get up close and personal with like the actual comic creators yeah. and stuff so you're doing this comic <laughs> called uh, Pitiful Human Lizard like, mm-hmm. now let's just set the scene for the people here 
It's basically a comic about a dude with a nine to five job who sort of inherited this legacy from his father of being this superhero that can stick to walls and stuff called the pitiful human lizard. And he defends Toronto. So in the comic, you'll see places like the ROM and like actual intersections Young from Indiana Toronto. Square. Young Square. Yeah, for sure. Honest Edge. Yeah, Honest Edge. And like, if you want it, you you can go all retro with it and like bring back like Sam the Record Man and all the buildings that are. I, that I had gone. to do some research on like there was a flashback scene with his dad because you know just following like the, like the dad's his reign as like the human lizard and that's like go deep into like finding out how Honest Ed's looked back in the seventies. Oh, it looked pretty jazzy. I mean, like what well, they actually had like disco. Balls, I think. Wow, really? Like, like, <laughs> like a- along the the frames of the windows. Wow. Yeah. So it was like less midway circus, more like disco ish. Did they still have the sign and everything? No, they no, they had a. They didn't have that kind of sign. That they didn't have that sign. St- oh, the circus sign. It was okay. different. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. But yeah, you'll see it in issue number one. What I'm talking about. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, and you can you can pick that up at local comic shops in Toronto. Is it distributed through Diamond or is it just is it no. just through the local the local shops? At the moment, uh, they can find it at Silver Snail Comic Book Lounge, Doctor Comics, Comic Pile. Uh, very soon, the Beguiling. Um, also, Stadium Comics in Brampton and Gotham Central in Mississauga. And I'm hoping to, to reach out to like other comic book stores in the GTA, Southern Ontario. That's awesome. That's I'm doing awesome. it all like, like all my own. So I'm like, while I'm working on my comic, whenever I can find the time to drive out to stores and communicate to them, hey, do you want to carry my comic? Nice. Yeah. But before we get into the whole Pitiful Human Lizard and the evolution of that, which is kind of interesting, I want to go back and talk about sort of your first foray into comics. Maybe we can go back to the Paradise Comics thing that we were talking about. So that was, for me, that was the first show that I ever went to in Toronto. And I was like amazed because in BC, where I'm originally from, there was no, even in Vancouver, there was no real comic scene. So you couldn't meet people that you've been reading, that you were reading about. Mm-hmm. So I was like thrilled. I was like meeting you guys and I was meeting like, oh my God, like Jim Starlin and Howard Chaikin and all these people that I had heard about. Vancouver never really had a con. The closest con that Vancouver had back in the day was uh, Emerald City, the Seattle oh, right. con. And yeah. then also they used to have like these little swap meet sort of things where it was like a place to sell comics at this place called like Her- at, local church at Heritage Hall. Yeah, okay. Heritage Hall, like a local <laughs> church where you'd like go through the bins and stuff. Right. So that's where I met all of you too. And if you met everybody there, I sort of want to hear about that. You started, Do you, you went to Sheridan for school? Or? Uh, I did. I, I graduated in 2004, but it was 2003. That was my, my first comic convention and i remember seeing kagan mcleod's work in a wizard magazine and how and then i found out he was like local he was from he well he he graduated in sheridan it's like man i'm going to sheridan and and he's toronto based so I, i reached out to him and eventually i i uh got to do some internship at raid studios like the earlier like when it was like Chip Starsky, Kagan McLeod, Cameron Stewart, and Ben Shannon, 
And so I, I got to like meet them again, like uh, at the at the Paradise Convention before my internship. So I got, I got a good feel of how these guys were. And oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so that's awesome. So how did you get into comics initially? Were you always a fan, like back in the day as a kid, or how how did that happen? Yeah, like I, I always wanted to. I always liked drawing when I was a kid, especially when I was five. And, and uh, it even got to the point where, like, I just wanted to do my own stories. So, I would just take pieces of paper and just staple them, make my own little mini booklet, and just draw a series of drawings mm-hmm. in that booklet. And, and then later on, um, it was grade nine. Like, my, uh, my, my f- a friend of mine made his first mini comic. And I was like... Hey, like I can draw too. Like, like maybe I should do something like that. Like I want to tell my own stories, and that's how it started. And Human Lizard was actually one of the first characters I created. Oh, sweet! Yeah, I remember because when I went to the launch, I was one of the guys who picked up those free old high school bonus issues, like your your early Human Lizard. Yeah, work. that that one was uh, was what I made back in college and actually that's what i was selling at the paradise convention okay yeah okay. this was like back in 2004 and these were like copies you found that was that was left in or? my parents basement that were never sold and it, it's it's yeah it's it's funny like you know going to like the local comic shops at the time and saying hey can you like carry my comics under consignment like these xerox comics uh especially at the big island which they have like plenty of and then it was kind of disheartening, like, eight months later to see, like, where my comics were and, like, they were never sold. Like, they were put in a in the, in the back room. And I th- I'm i pretty sure it might have been, like, Brian Leo Malley back when he was working at The Beguiling <laughs> at the time who, who had to, like, retrieve that box. And then he was like, well, you know, he was saying, like, uh, maybe if it doesn't so here like maybe you should try uh, you know selling them at the canzine and he was like giving me some suggestions of where else to sell them yeah the canzine festival yeah. they have broken pencils yeah festival yeah yeah broken pencils a uh, independent diy magazine here for zines and stuff like that mm-hmm. are for this current incarnation of pitiful human lizard are we led to believe that those early adventures are like the father's adventures because what i noticed from those early adventures of pitiful human lizard is the father is sort of wearing the same costume version with the sort of it's sort of it's sort of let me describe like, it these it's sort lizard of like eyes, it's like lizard eyes, eyes on top of the hood yeah. sort of in a kermit the frogish sort of style yeah and 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 his fa- the father who is like the senior superhero the superhero from back in the day uh-huh. that's his costume but it's essentially jason's early high school attempt to pitiful human lizard is the costume for the older generation right? yeah did you want it to be like a tribute or? Well, yeah, in a way, yeah. Uh, the look he had back when I created him in high school had that retro look. Like mm. it, it was, it was definitely like classic old school superhero with the tights. It, it definitely showed its time to like to bring it back in the new incarnation of the pitiful human lizard. One of the things that has changed from like. The old Human Lizard comic was like the son's name is is was Marcus in in the old ones and like in the new one his name is Lucas 
it has uh, a bit more of a meaning as as I looked up like the meanings of names and what does it mean? Well, well, Lucas, the one who seeks delight, or I'm I'm writing about a character who experiences a lot of setbacks, and you know he, he's this true underdog, but he he still perseveres, like he's still able to like see the bright side to it all. So, so that's why I, I, I named him Lucas. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So how did you get the initial idea? I mean, this, this character goes back all the way to like your high school days. What was the impetus for the initial inspiration for the character? I, I was back in high school. I was, I was a big fan of, uh, the James Robinson Starman comics. Oh, so good. Because of, uh, the second generation taking over, you know, the sins of the father. The sins of the father, yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I kind of like that that angle, and I wanted to tell my own um, with uh, just with my own twist of like following a guy who's just an average like office nine to five clerk okay. who 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 uh, likes to find excitement as a superhero. That's awesome. Yeah. So, is that why he's pitiful? Just because he's sort of that sort of office well, drone well, kind of guy? It's because he, he has a lot of limitations set as an average human being. Okay. So, he doesn't... He can't fly or he can't... Um, he doesn't have super strength. If he can't fly to, to go from one point to another in, in a sit in the city, like, he has to take... He has to rely on a TTC. Yeah. But he doesn't ride the TTC. He rides the he, TTC. He, he rides on, on top, top of the, of yeah, the TTC. Yeah. To get by. Yeah. yeah. But later on, like, you know, when, when you read issue number one, like, there's more to that. Yeah, for sure. No spoilers. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, there are other heroes that sort of emerge and, and that sort of thing, for sure. And there's also this whole idea of, like, him trying to sort of live down the legacy of his father kind of too i noticed is yeah, that is well, that whole father son dynamic is that really important to you like how i wrote it in the comics was uh his father is is hugh barrett who who used to be a ceo of this adhesive mm. company like that that made glue and and for a publicity stunt, he uh, he developed these gloves and shoes that allow him to climb walls. Mm. He 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 did the steer where he he would if he was able to climb the top of the Royal York, uh, that he would get a free stay there for a week, and and that kind of launched the stardom in, in the city, and that's where he was. You know, he became like a local celebrity doing like this store launches or birthday parties and stuff like that he was not really like a, a crime fighting superhero but so he so he had his 15 minutes of fame doing that yeah. and then you know just like every small celebrity that has that 15 <laughs> minutes of fame like people forget about that like decades later it's it's kind of like your famous hockey players at the time yeah, yeah, yeah. and like you know like like their notoriety is it has kind of faded over time yeah. right so the so people kind of like the people of this generation forget about the lizard man that's what he was at the time lucas barrett who's the son of of hugh barrett he he he's not really taken on his father's legacy it's more about he's just a thrill seeker well he he wants adventure in his life so he wants to be this superhero around the city actually do good for the city and what resources that he has is you know his his father's 
legacy of like you know the the wall climbing gloves and shoes that uh, that would help him fight crime. Mm-hmm. So so that's like the only thing that he continues on from his father, but their intentions are completely different. Ah, I understand. Yeah. For sure. One of them was like, you can take that same sort of idea and use it for crime fighting. And the other one was sort of like, hey, publicity stunt, I get a free hotel stay kind of thing. Yeah, look at me. I climbed uh, the CN Tower with these gloves. Yeah, for sure. Cool, man. But you're not just about the Pitiful Human Lizard. I mean, you're working on issue two right now. Yes. It started as sort of a Kickstarter campaign. It was something that you sort of did really grassroots, right? That And it got you a lot of attention, I think, because of like the local stuff that you put in and, and how it was like very Toronto-centric and the Toronto media sort of embraced you. How was that? Like what t- – take it, me through like it, it, the impetus of the campaign and the whole media attention that was – that before befell you afterwards so the the project was really driven from me wanting to tell my own superhero story because i haven't done one for a long while um and i have a huge love for like old marvel comics from like the 70s and 80s i love like their way of storytelling uh, and and just the illustrations back in the day. Yeah, Jason, so, Jason will go to Doctor Comics and like rifle through their back issue bin and like post photos of like old seventies Marvel comics. Well, yeah, back, back when it was like Kensington yeah. Comics, when it was like when everything in stock was just back issues for fifty cents. Um, so yeah, that was my inspiration. That's how it started. That was my my intention. So I want, uh, but I, I wanted to. Instead of have it set in New York, like, it would have been just easier for me to to do it in Toronto because I live in Toronto and all the references are here. And I, I, I love taking, like, long, adventurous walks around a city. So, it's it's a good opportunity for me to take some photo references and go, oh, like, this would be a good spot for the superhero to do whatever in the comic. So, so that's how, that was my intention of it. For Kickstarter, I, I didn't predict it was going to be a huge success. That's why when I made the first issue, I made the issue 52 pages, mm-hmm. a 52 page debut. So it tells you the origin and it gives you a good impression of the character. That way, if, you know, cause I like, even without Kickstarter, I was going to still do this comic. So if it, if Kickstarter didn't work or if this, comic wasn't a success even though I'm, i was still going to go through it anyways at least I, I gave a good impression of what this character was about thankfully kickstarter was a, a huge success had like all this press and uh, and i had some ideas of what was going to happen next after issue number one but just vague ideas but when everything starts to steamroll with with the kickstarter and and like blog to and globe and mail and all these other coverage getting a hold of it that's when i had to like start thinking of like oh like the future plans like just thinking of like the future issues so the pressure was on basically yeah i mean yeah. you funded it so that you could make more copies and and get it out to more stores and do that sort of funded thing right? to, to get a, a high quality product and and make a thousand copies with with the Kickstarter because without the Kickstarter I I, I probably would have just managed to make maybe only a hundred or two hundred with the budget that I had and when you when you're doing like a fifty two page full color comic especially when it's a low run it's it costs a lot of money it could probably cost me maybe even ten bucks 
to make each copy. So to go through Kickstarter, do a print run of a thousand copies where the production cost would cost even less for me. That was a good incentive for me to to, to get more copies out yeah, and, sure. and spend less money for for something that's high quality uh, yeah. and that that's at par with like DC and Marvel like yeah. it well, it is the quality is like you know what you would expect like a glossy comic what like a mainstream comic is basically yeah so so it can stand on the shelf like right beside a Spider-Man and and a yeah. X-Men and yeah. and it doesn't it, give away sort of the hallmarks of an indie comic people it, might think that it's produced by a company like Image or or one of the higher up independents in in the comic industry basically exactly cool you you've been at this game a long time this whole comic thing that you're that you've been doing right mm-hmm. But I don't really know much about you before you started producing comics. Like, were were you always a fan of comics? Like, what what was your course. childhood and stuff like? Um, like I was a huge fan of GI Joe. Like, even I had more of the action figures in the comics, but I, I still had the comics. But, you know, back when I was like five to like seven years old well whatever comics i had i've never really read the comics like i'll just look at the pictures and get an idea of what's going on mm-hmm. but like i think it was like by the age of like maybe nine or so like i like i actually started reading the words on the comic pages and figuring out what's actually happened in the comics that i bought or my parents bought from the convenience store for me <laughs> so did you always grow up in toronto or i i was born in brampton i was raised most of my life in, in mississauga from age of seven out. Oh. Then, then i moved to toronto like five six years ago uh, to go to school, right? To go to Sheridan, or I was still living in Mississauga when when, when I went, you to, went Sheridan. to Sheridan. Okay, like oh yeah, I'll just drive to Oakville. Okay, back in two thousand four. Cool, nice. So then, and then you just moved to Toronto because, like, you uh, had stuff, more opportunity, uh, and that uh, kind of thing. No, I I just love to live in Toronto. Ever mm. since I was in high school, like I I just thought like Toronto's where it's at. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it has everything in, 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 a, in a walking distance. And I've been exercising that up till now, you know, just just walking around, not really relying on a TTC. Like, I, I remember back when I was in high school or even like in grade eight, like once I've discovered Silver Snail Comics, my, my parents and I would, would take weekly trips, like driving leaving our car to Kipling Station and, and going over to Toronto through the TTC. And and then I would beg them to, to take me to Silver Snail Comics and get me like an, an X-Men action figure for like 15, 20 bucks. <laughs> what attracted you uh, to superheroes and stuff? Like, give me like the boyhood sort of uh, dreams and fantasies. Um, Like, I, I, was, I, you know, I grew up watching a lot of the... Adam West Batman shows and Super Friends. I had the Superpowers action figures, so I was a huge DC fan when I was a kid. And and my my parents helped fuel that, like you know, especially when the Superpowers action figures were available at gas stations. Like, yeah, whatever happened to selling toys at gas stations? That doesn't even happen anymore. No, no, but that was freaking like 
Yeah, like even at the time, I thought that was a weird idea. Like when my dad would, you know, when he'd pay for gas and then he would come back in a car and he would get me like a Robin action figure or uh, a Parademon action figure. It's like, oh, you, you just got this from... Yeah. From Esso? Yeah, I remember <laughs> the California Raisins action figures. I, yes. I remember the Jane Goodall wildlife picture books from gas stations and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any of those? Uh, it, was like a, it was like a Petrocan, like little tidy book of like Jane Goodall stuff. Uh, no, I, I do remember getting some Peter Rabbit books. Yeah, yeah, Peter, Peter Rabbit. Rabbit yeah. And, then, and then eventually I got my own, like a full collection of all the Peter Rabbit books. I think it's still in my parents' basement that's awesome yeah so that was sort of the impetus of like what created the fan but then what made you want to get into comics i mean you started doing your own comics was that just in an effort to copy what you saw on the page or no it was just storytelling i just wanted to tell my own stories i was um I don't think I was ever that guy that, like, even, like, during, like, the 90s image boom, like, I was not one of those guys that wanted to draw, like, heavily detailed characters. Uh, like, I, 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 I kind of, like, my self-confidence limited me to saying, no, you'll, you'll never draw, like, all these muscly people. Like, just draw, like, average people where, like, you don't really see the tones in your bodies. And, and that's what I was drawing back when I was, like, 14. Yeah, just just, just simple characters. Just to get a story across. Not not to go, oh, look at this awesome pinup art. Would you show it to people? Like, did you, did you show it to people to read, or...? Uh, yeah, like, well, like, when I was, when I was 14, like, when I was, when I made my first comic, well, like, when I got the idea from my friend who made his own mini comic, and he was selling copies at, at the the cafeteria, I wanted to do the same, I wanted to, I wanted to also, like, make some lunch money by selling my own comics. That's awesome. So, so you did that and stuff, but then what got you into wanting to go to Sheridan? Was it because of the whole Kegan McLeod thing or no, uh, did I, you already want to go? Yeah. Like, like I, I, my heart was set in wanting to do art as a living. Like, I think like, even like my, my mom and dad kind of like implanted like the idea of, of Sheridan, like, like you, you'd hear about stories of like Disney animators coming from Sheridan and, and my, my mom would tell me about that. But it, it was, it's kind of funny because like, I know my dad, uh, more so than my mom wanted me to be a, a doctor. <laughs> sort of the traditional like Asian, Asian dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I was, I was very, uh, persistent in wanting to be a, an artist even when my dad was trying to coax me. And then he, he just gave up and accepted that, you know, that I'll be an artist. And, and like, if you would see, like, a, a newspaper article about something that was art-related, he'd be like, hey, Jason, look, this person's doing art. And yeah. I was like, oh, I guess that's one way for my dad to support me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Did he, was he afraid that you were going to be, like, hungry and, like, and, like poor? And, like, because art is not, like, the most lucrative field. I, I, I never thought of it that way until when I was in college. Yeah. And then they, they, they told me the harsh reality of, like, how much people get paid. And it was the time when I had the option of taking illustration interpretive or illustration technical technical is like you, you'll you'll probably do stuff for like educational textbooks and it's it's much more disciplined because you got to like 
draw things as how they actually look, whereas an interpretive, like you, you can do your own style or whatever, but you m- could make less money doing that as a living because it's all subjective yeah. when, when you're selling things as a style, whereas in technical, uh, you know, companies are like, I just want someone to draw me a penguin for yeah. this textbook. And it has to be exact. Exactly. Yeah, just heavily rendered. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I went to interpretive because I figured that's what will make me happy anyways. I don't really care about the money. It's all about just doing something I love. And at the time, I was working in the library. It was a pretty steady job as unionized too. So, I, you know, I can always like look towards my library job as a, as as bringing the the bread and butter uh while i can work on comics on the side like after my shift and that's what you've always been doing right? and that's what i'm doing right now uh, <laughs> awesome. uh, like i i'm i'm, st- I'm working full time at a library right now but you know like after a, a nine to five shift i would come back home uh make myself dinner then at 7 p.m start drawing my comics until till like 1 a.m like the past week i've, I've that's what I've been doing and, you know, waking up at like seven o'clock. So I only have like six hours of sleep. Wow, man. So I'm cutting into your drawing time right now, I think. Uh, a, little a little bit. bit. A, little bit. It's a little bit. But but I'm almost done the penciling stage of the Pitiful Human Lizard issue number two. I, I even have like a three day long weekend this weekend. So I'll be using that to finish up the penciling stage. So nice. I can kind of relax right now <laughs> so what do you have in store for us in terms of the second issue of a bit of human lizard that you can that you can sort of share so uh in the second issue uh lucas barrett meets this girl on an online dating website and, and they go on a date but the girl that he goes on a date with is this girl that you see in issue number one who's not really a big fan of the human lizard She's annoyed by him. So, oh, yeah, yeah there, I there's think there's a panel in issue one where, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, I, there's, I there's, there's two scenes. About. Yeah, there's two I scenes. Know, in I don't want to give one. it away who it is. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they go on a date, and, and then yeah, there's gonna be some interesting dynamics as the date goes further on. And also, there, there's a special appearance by Rab the Malevolent, who looks, who has a striking resemblance to. A Toronto politician who is making the headlines ah, the past year, who, who also made an appearance in issue number one as Mr. well. Mr. Ford. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody loves to hate Mr. Rob Ford. Um, our mayor, Boss Hog. Uh, anyway, the other thing, though, too, is like, this is not your first kick at the can when it comes to comics. I mean, Jason's been pretty prolific on the web before. He did a comic called Lou Harvest, mm-hmm. which was basically like, I think you just put yourself basically in Star Wars. Yes. It, <laughs> basically, it, uh, Lou Harvest was showing my, my, my f- fandom for Star Wars, and I, I love the Star Wars galaxy to death. Um, that like, you know, when, when I'll be playing video games or reading, like looking at art books and stuff, like I just try to envision myself in these environments. And I was, and I was like, I would like to like try to render these environments myself, but also like have some purpose in it by, by adding a story and want to put myself in this comic. So it was really just something, it was a self-indulgent 
project of my own. And if people liked it, that was awesome. But I, I this was something that that I I just did it for the love of Star Wars. Uh, just just showing my appreciation for the franchise. Um, like each page was heavily rendered. It would take me an entire week just to like render one page. Uh, it got to that point when I, when I was doing Louis Harvest Chronicles, which is more of the autobiographical comic mm-hmm. web comic, where I would just talk about like my past heartbreaks, yeah, breakups, stories, but but just put them through Star Wars, like changing the girls' identities with like some alien race or whatever, and yeah, you know, know. making it all like in the Star Wars universe. It was basically like. Jason Liu's life, if he was a character in Star Wars, pretty much, I think. But, yeah. But, like, fictionalized enough that you didn't really know whether it actually happened or whether it oh, didn't they did happen, happen, that kind of thing. <laughs> well, but, yeah, most of most of it did happen. Yeah, but people, who, but people who don't know you wouldn't necessarily know that, right? Well, I did advertise it as autobiographical oh, okay. webcomic oh, okay. set in the Star Wars universe. So, yeah, Lou Harvest. That was a hook. Is it com? Is, is that still happening it's, or is it ending up. or what? It, it's still up. I, I left it with sort of an ending. It was a very sad ending, but, you know, I, I could still pick it up. And it's funny, I just tweeted it earlier today. Like, I, I saw the Star Wars Rebels, uh, a trailer for their new uh, cartoon series. Yeah. And, like, I think it's so awesome. Um, it's by the same guys that do Clone Wars. And, like, back, back when Clone Wars was around, like, that helped me fuel my, my motivation into working Lou Harvest. So once when Clone Wars kind of folded and there was not much going on with the Star Wars, like, there was not much that kind of feeded me. Like, I, I already watched, like, Star Wars maybe over 500 times or whatever. But, but that's, like, once when Clone Wars ended, that's when I started shifting my focus to, like, the superhero genre. But now with, with the new Rebels, web series i'm i'm thinking maybe this might motivate me to getting back into lou harvest again and, and probably stepping back from human lizard even though i want to do both uh, okay cool man <laughs> yeah. i mean the, the human lizard thing is going going really well so i would ride that wave yeah yeah but uh but yeah if you want if you want to get back to lou harvest that's cool too <laughs> if you could do both like hats off to you man with the whole full-time job and then and then trying to do it and stuff so i i'm looking forward to it like both of them are really good for different reasons but yeah like i, I do have like a like issue number two is going to be out for september i'm hoping it, it will be ready for word on the street I got a, a table there in uh, issue number three, which I already have a story for that. Um, probably in December, but most likely January, like after the whole holiday madness of December, it's best to maybe launch a new issue in January where, you know, nothing else really is going on. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's sure. a good opportunity to advertise a new yeah, comic. Yeah, like it doesn't have to be monthly. You could do it whenever you want. Oh, yeah. So. No, it's it's more of a quarterly, quarterly thing. thing. Yeah, that's yeah, it's awesome. So, I mean, you also mentioned that you're big into G.I. Joe, and mm-hmm. I know that you sort of participated in the planning of, like, G.I. Joe toy conventions and stuff like that, right? And I, I think I have a comic by you that's, like, the Canadian G.I. Joe team. That's right, yeah. I remember. Yeah. So, 
that was like a is that like a thing that you're still doing or how did no. how did that come to be I, I was i'm good friends with uh this guy named mike who who runs a, a toy store a vintage toy store in hamilton called bounty hunter toys, bounty hunter toys. In, in uh hamilton okay it, it all started with him and and a bunch of like other G.I. Joe fans that, that had like a, a swap meet, like just, just getting together and, and trading Joes and just talking about G.I. Joe collectibles. And then, it, and then like after a couple years, it became like a G.I. Joe meet where we had like people from like the G.I. Joe fan boards. Mm actually coming over like driving all the way from like ohio or or anywhere from the states like even montreal to to meet up with like this this meet and then it grew into its own convention where we got support from hasbro canada and we they let us release a comic and that's where i got to like make my own write my own stories and do the art wow so that for, must have been a dream comic. for you oh yeah uh and it, w- what was awesome was uh i got to create a brand like all like brand new characters that were Canadian. So, like, the Canadian version of G.I. Joe. The Joe Canucks. Or the Knuckleheads. That's what they call it. That's awesome. Man, that could be, like, the next incarnation of the cartoon. I mean, Justice League... They're doing their own Canadian Justice League right now, so yeah, but but it didn't it didn't really pick up like it like uh, I released uh, issues like in 2010, 11, and twelve, and yeah, two thousand and twelve was when it that was the last one by two by two thousand and thirteen. That's when we kind of lost support from Hasbro, like and, and like the the G.I. Joe toy line was was dying. So like there was not really much to celebrate for us to bring back another convention because th- there wasn't a new Joe thing to yeah there's to, yeah like like th- there was not much of a GI Joe presence in the to- on the toy shelves mm. uh for for people to celebrate the, the franchise and so it just slowly died and oh. then it was like we we just we just folded oh pour yeah. out some you know some stuff for the GI Joe convention like a bottle of gin a bottle of gin for yeah. sure yeah. And then also, you know, you're also very connected in sort of like the local art scene and that sort of thing. Like you, you have like your friends like Tyrone and all those people. Mm-hmm. So, and they have this thing called Sketch Craig. I've been, Zen used to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Zen Rankin. You, I Brian think. Brian Hong right? and Brian Jill Hong England. and all those people. So how did you, I mean, you met. Tyrone and them at 2003, how did you guys sort of become a collective? Like, did you, were you part of the founding of it? Did you just yeah. join them or yeah. how did it, how did it work? Well, yeah, so like, yeah, Tyrone and Alana and Evan and I, we, we, we all like would, would frequent the, the, the comic convention scene behind the artist alley table. And we became like such great friends at, like outside of the conventions. I remember even like traveling to Chicago wizard world with, with Tyrone and Lana. And yeah, so, so we, we were very close like before the form, uh, formation of sketch Creek. And then like, I think Tyrone like brought up the idea, like, Hey, like, you know, like we're in, the convention scene like what if we like des- decide to like just start a group and and zen at the time was very uh he was inspired to to also do some work and, and sell it behind the artist alley table too and and i think a year before it started that that's when like we kind of like included zen into like our 
social circle yeah. before the formation of Sketch Creek, and we're like, okay, let's 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 all band together, and then and we can. It was basically us just sharing a table in the artist alley. So it, so we would get like two tables, and we would each probably only pay like a quarter of the amount. And it probably gave you guys a little more publicity because you were stronger together than you would have been apart, right? Yeah, yeah. This, this was like before like spent pencils and breaking lead. Yeah, yeah. So you were like your own, you were like your own collective before Transmission X comics and everything like that, I think, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. I, I think maybe Transmission X came... Out around the same time the same when time. we were going, yeah. Okay, okay. Around the same time, so, same year. And you, you also had an internship at Raid, right? What was that like for you? It was fun. I, I learned a lot of stuff from Kagan and, and Chip Sidorsky and, and Ben Shannon, Cameron Stewart, because you know, like when you actually see people, especially like Cameron Stewart, who he was working on Catwoman at the time, like like right after the Darwin uh, Cook run. I remember that. So to see like an actual comic book professional do his craft like in the studio like and that was what i was aspiring to do and see oh uh, like i like that's a caliber of work you got to be at to to work in that profession so it gave me perspective so i knew where i was at at that point and i I had a lot to learn (laughs) from them a lot so what what were your takeaways? Do you think that your art has improved because of that experience? And definitely work, uh, definitely work discipline. Like seeing like how much work they need to get done in a day. I would see like Cameron's calendar of of even like Ben Shannon and like they had to like pencil like an entire book in like within two weeks and like try to ink it within the next two weeks. And like that's been my practice, like even even now with with the human lizard. Like right now, I'm pen- I'm doing I'm penciling 28 pages of the human lizard. I only started like two weeks ago. So. Nice, nice. So you want to keep that professional pace? That that way, if you know, if I ever get picked up by the big leagues, like I I, I have that work ethic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or you pitch the image or something like yeah. that. You know that kind of thing. That's awesome, and you can be counted on because. I mean, deadlines are what makes you, like, whether you can make them and, and you know, be counted on for, for the calendar and the schedule, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool, man. So, this is awesome. What are sort of your plans for the future? You want to continue with the human lizard? You talked about maybe coming back for Lou Harvest a little bit in the future. Like, it, yeah, as, as, as long as there's a big... As long as there's still a steady following for the Pitiful Human Lizard, I'll, I'll continue to do it. I, I, I have a at least a, a five six issue story arc, and you know, once once that ends, like I could I could continue it, depending on if people still want to read more of it. Mm-hmm. If they don't, if they had enough with it, it's like, well, maybe I'll just do my own thing and just work on Lou Harvest Chronicles. Is there another Kickstarter campaign in our future? Mm, not for the Pitiful Human Lizard. Uh, the Kickstarter campaign was a good jumping point for me to hopefully financially fund things on my own now. So, like, whenever I'm selling comics, all the profit will go into producing the next issue. The next issue. Awesome. That's so cool. Um, Yeah, totally. That's awesome. Do you have anything... Uh, to plug like your website, where can people find you? Maybe if they're not locally in Toronto, if they are in Toronto. Uh, yeah. So people can follow Pitiful Human Lizard Facebook page at facebook.com 
forward slash pitiful human lizard, no space. I'm sure if they just Googled pitiful human lizard, Facebook, like they would find the page. And, you know, just make sure to like it because I update it very frequently, almost every day, or if not, four times a week. Nice. Do you have a website of your own, or is it all Pitiful Human Lizard? Uh, com is still up. Okay. So, if people are interested in checking out my autobiographical webcomic, they can go to com. Can they follow you on Twitter? Or? Yeah, they can follow me at rebel underscore Lou. Awesome. Awesome. That's so good. Uh, it was so nice to have you in. Thanks Jason, for having thank me. you for uh, hanging out with me. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll, we'll do this again sometime. For sure. For sure. All right. So this has been Speech Bubble. I want to thank uh, Jason Liu, uh, author, creator, writer, artist of The Pitiful Human Lizard. And uh, we'll see you next time. Pew! This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Never Sleeps Network.